have set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. Well, we've got a lot with NBA action happening. There are two college games going on, so you're damn right. There's a live play on both of them for me. I can't speak for John, who's producing the show, but we'll find out, in fact, if there's anything going on worthy of diving in from a live perspective. Now, again, the NBA is going to provide a lot from both a betting fantasy standpoint, but from a storyline point of view... I did want to start with this because I feel even stronger now in my conviction that as the world is about to descend upon Miami, Florida, you're going to see everybody, Radio Row, all of these things discuss at length what's going on with Antonio Brown. It's going to happen. Make no mistake. It will happen. But the problem is... How many people are actually going to look at this and talk at as much as they can about what Antonio Brown did and, and all the issues that have happened as opposed to what's really going on right now as in a span of, I don't know, 24 hours, we saw this whole thing flip. We saw everything just completely turn around from charges, allegations in front of a judge released on bond and now being basically mandated by said judge in court to seek some sort of help for his mental capacity. But again, I go back to one thing. Antonio Brown has been a mastermind at keeping his name in the news. And again, not everything that he's done has been designed negatively of course to keep him in the news there are things in which he's done because he's an idiot he's a creep he's just a moron and that keeps him in the news but this is as contrived as it gets assaulting somebody a delivery driver coming there stoned off whatever was bath salts or pcp and then of all things it happening barricading himself in hollywood florida i don't buy it You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Well, we've got an apology that's come through from Dallas Keuchel that I guess we should acknowledge because I don't know how many former Astros have come out and said so. Uh, current Astros, for that matter. I don't know how many really should and that's kind of the crux of the storyline once we get to Dallas Keuchel coming up and at 1040 Eastern this hour we're going to go up to Boston because not only the cheating scandal but also now more and more storylines coming out reports or just belief that Tom Brady I even saw odds put out on the global market 
that Tom Brady is going to be a charger next year and that everything would point to data at least that Tom Brady, based on the history of the Patriots and kind of what they do with contracts and whether or not they would renew anything, that would be the indication that he would move on. And look, I I think the biggest thing you have to understand when it comes to Tom Brady and the Patriots is how much they've truly developed and how much they've truly over time established something that is very difficult to do in the NFL, and that's a system. And it's not just a system on the field. It's not just what you're running on offense. It's essentially a locker room, a team, a culture that no matter who it is, immediately steps in and falls in line. So there is something to that and leaving that and starting over. And the Chargers are essentially just going to pay as much as they possibly can, max the guy out, because they need a name now in their new stadium. So when they come in in a brand-new look that they're trying to establish, Tom Brady would be a perfect name for that. Eli Manning retires. We'll get to him coming up in a sec. But beyond the other names that might be out there, and I don't know if anybody's really going to say that. Like, for example, if you, if you look at quarterbacks that could be on the move or free agents to be, okay, Ryan Tannehill. I expect that. I don't expect somebody like Dak Prescott to be on the move. But I would expect someone like Phillip Rivers, where you talk about Brady, think about the dominoes that fall, right? Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady, and then all of a sudden it's Eli Manning is out already. Drew Brees is coming back. We know that. So what happens with Rivers? Does he retire? Does he try to find a new team? A couple of other guys out there, who might be looking for a new squad as well in Bridgewater, Winston, and Mariota. Can't believe it's Mariota and Winston again. At Shander Shows, hey, get me on Twitter. The Facebook channel is up right now, Aton Shander. That's how you can follow along. I don't know what's happening with the Twitch thing. That's banged up. I am beside myself tonight because I had four DraftKings leagues set to go. Juicy fantasy NBA action. Set to go for tonight. We'd have a couple of hours. I know we'll live talk through and maybe even live bet through that Pacers-Warriors game that's about to tip off in 25 minutes. And before you laugh or scoff at me through the screen here or through your speaker, what are you talking about, Pacers-Warriors? There's value in everything. Six-and-a-half-point line right now. Golden State comes out. Little run right there. Next thing you know, Indiana might even be getting a point. So there's value. Don't laugh at the fact that the NBA has conveniently hid these two teams tonight in the back end of a Friday night schedule. But the quarterback situation isn't going anywhere. Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan, they're not going anywhere. I'll be down in Miami Wednesday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. Eastern with you on the network. A lot of that stuff isn't going anywhere. But I am personally pissed off that I didn't even sleep through it, but I just set my lineup and forgot. I reserved spots and just forgot it. Cannot for the life of me figure out how I could have just pissed $60 down the drain like that and set up six different lineups where I just reserved spots and all I had to do, like a a basic 
level responsibility was to sign back on that app and fill out a roster and then just copy and paste it. I didn't even need to fill out multiple rosters. And I feel left out. That's the worst part about it. You can put a bet on. Maybe I can get something here. Late game action, fourth quarter action. But I feel like I missed out on tonight. I feel unprepared. I would feel the same. It's almost like that feeling of if I didn't prepare anything at all to talk to you about. I thought this would be fun where we could look at some things. I tweeted out. We talk about it online as well. Somebody would say, no, you idiot. Why would you start filling the blank trying to look at a stack? And I was thinking of that Sacramento stack tonight in Chicago. But nonetheless, it's all for naught. And like a moron, I'm sitting here with nothing. And I, I don't even... They won't let you jump in. That's the worst part about it. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Shame on me or you if it's ever happened on a Sunday or leading into it. I know sometimes, oh, I forgot to start somebody on a Thursday night football thing. But NBA, there's nothing else going on. We can't play college fantasy here in Pennsylvania. And I sure as hell i am not taking a risk with fantasy hockey unless I'm subscribed to a site or something like that. Fox is not replacing Danny Waltrip in the booth. So, Daryl Waltrip, pardon me. So now NASCAR and the network, Fox, will be paring it down to a two-person booth, Mike Joy and analyst Jeff Gordon. I'm sure you know that name. You're familiar with Jeff Gordon. And I don't know how much a three-person booth really works. I don't know... If you really look at the flexibility you have to talk, think about what makes a really strong analyst when you're watching a TV game, not listening to it on the radio, more so watching it on TV. The ability, I think, to talk a little bit, not be totally wordy, and I don't mean be in and out like Booger to where it's like a half a sentence and then that's it, but... Part of why I really, truly enjoy a Tony Romo, Phil Sims, Joe Buck, and Troy Aikman because Buck allows Aikman to talk. And you even saw it with Madden. Look, Pat Summerall barely spoke, and John Madden was just filling in these awkward silences. That's what made Caliendo so great is it wasn't just the sound of Madden, but it was like the noises, all these things that just made less silence. And that was it. That's what was, I think, the beauty of a top analyst is their ability to work with the play-by-play, the ability for the play-by-play person to allow that analyst to breathe. And do you really get that in a three-person booth? And look, Facebook's up. You can hit us up there on Twitter. I did put the tweet out ahead of time. And I don't know, man. I I think Twitch is just totally uh, foobar tonight. So we might have to pass... At least we have the visual going on Facebook. But I put this out tonight on Twitter, at Shander Show. The best three-person booth of all time. Because while I do believe you can look at a three-person booth in some light and some sense of success, the reality is, is that I don't think it matches. I don't think the best three-person booth will match the top five or ten two-people booths. And I'm just talking TV. Because I do think it's harder in this case to be a little more sustainable. Radio, and a lot of the radio people, they're working for your team anyway. You want to go Westwood One or you want to go the the main broadcast, Kevin Harlan and fill in the blank. I don't think so. 
the analysts are not it on the radio. They're decent. Don't get me wrong. I actually think Tony Baselli is an underrated radio analyst. But the big catch here is TV because that's where you don't have much flexibility. Radio, you can talk. Even a radio broadcast, you have that flexibility to talk. But I wonder, if you start to look at the three-person booth, could you truly match up the number one three-person booth of all time? And, you know, the only caveat that I have is the three people have to be in the booth together. A three-person broadcast is different than three people in the booth. You can't look at Allie LaForce or Howard Cosell down on the sidelines. Now, Cosell wasn't always on the sidelines. But you can't look at somebody on the sidelines and incorporate them with a two-person booth and say, oh, well, that's the trio right there. As much as I love Pam Oliver, can't throw in there. It's not Buck, Aikman, and Oliver. I know sometimes on the bottom they say that, and they like to throw Mike Pereira's ass in there as well, but he's not part of it either, all right? And we'll get you updated on some NBA stuff coming up. But just to give you one to kick things off, Jay Berman, at Jay Berman, Al Frank, and Dan. Now that's going to be the most famous, I think. Before we even look at this, and I have a bunch that have piled in so far. But before I even scroll, I'm going to guess that that's the most famous. But was that the best? I mean, Jay even got a response from Mike at Vero BCH FinFan, Cosell, Dandy, Don, and Gifford. Turn out the lights. The party's over. Cosell was a master. And... Dandy Don, like, there is something about Dandy Don and Cosell. But Frank Gifford, and maybe this is just because I was younger when Gifford was truly part of that. Al Michaels, you could feel it, but I just, I don't know. Did you need Frank Gifford in that booth? I know it sounds sacrilegious right now to bring this thing up, right? And the only reason why it got me thinking is this story that came out today with Fox and NASCAR not replacing Daryl Waltrip. Now, think about this. Daryl Waltrip's a pretty big name. Jeff Gordon is as big as it gets. That was the booth. And no knock on Mike Joy. I'm sure he's fantastic. But that's a hell of a heavyweight right there. Jeff Gordon, Daryl Waltrip, and Mike Joy. Waltrip's out. He announced his retirement and was part of this thing. But they said, no, they're not going to bring him back. So now it's a two-person booth. And think of all the great two-person booths we have. Two people, two man, whatever you want to call it. And I think if even if you want to look at one of the more underrated ones, it's easy to start with Buck and Aikman or Summerall and Madden. But look at Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. Let's start there. Because Collinsworth gets a little wordy. And Collinsworth will go off and talk about some stuff. I personally think it's a fantastic broadcast. And you've even had Al Michaels kind of work in a lot of the gambling angles. You had the Musburger broadcasts as well. The Keith Jackson broadcasts. A ton. A ton. But, you know, make no mistake here. There is something about that two-person ability to expand. 
and not necessarily get bogged down by that third person. All right, that's one. At Shander Show is how you get me. A lot has been discussed about Andy Reid. But before I can even get to that, there is a Philadelphia story that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up next. And unfortunately, it has to do with one of the most beloved figures here in the city. Eights on Shander Espionation Radio. Dealing with the root of the issues, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. All right, so one thing to look at as we get close to the final game. And yes, we will talk about this thing that'll tip off in a matter of seconds in Golden State here. Warriors just traded Cauley Stein to the Mavericks. And you would think, at least on the surface here, six-and-a-half-point road favorite Pacers are going to come in and dominate this sucker. Well, let's see how this plays out. And speaking of which, it's the Clippers and Heat where it's been domination in Miami, except not by Jimmy Butler and company. They're doing their best to try to narrow this thing down, but they're down 113-101 with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Clippers have been cruising for the most part. Now, it's getting tight, although it just looks like it's now a a matter of seconds here as the Rockets do wind up pulling that thing out, 131-124. Now, John, that's your squad, right? Do you yes, know? Sir. Do you know what they were favored by going into Minnesota tonight? Did they cover a seven-point line? I do not have that in front of me. No, I didn't see it. Okay, well, that tells me you didn't bet it either. No, not that game. No. Okay, impossible for me to think that the Bucks didn't cover a thirteen-point road line in Charlotte as they win convincingly. And there was one that I think tripped up a lot of people earlier because Orlando is a pretty difficult team to figure out, especially at home. And here you go, a huge night for another big story in the Orlando Magic backcourt. I can't believe, once again, we're talking about none other after a 30-point performance in the Orlando Magic backcourt. Again, we're talking about Evan Fournier. Oh, you, you thought I was going to bring up three for 10 Markel Fultz, minus 11, six total points Markel Fultz. Is that story over yet? Do I have to continue to apologize for something that never happened yet? My goodness, that embarrassment. And if you're out there in the Twitterverse, the Facebookverse, the Twitch channel's now up, all right? So we're live in action here. But you can read a piece I put up in Philly Voice, phillyvoice.com, where calling out people like Slam Magazine online, their Twitter account, and somebody in the WNBA, people that were just not here in Philadelphia, when Markel Fultz had himself a couple of games, a triple-double, did some move on LeBron James, and everybody was insistent on bringing Philadelphia to some level of Twitter justice 
some social media form of justice. You need to apologize. I saw this one headline. I think it was from Bleacher Report. Some irresponsible headline saying how Markel Fultz sat there and listened to everybody hate him for years only to bounce back like this. And I'm thinking to myself, what? Everybody hated what? What planet are people living on? What reality are people trying to recreate in their minds? The kid got a standing ovation here from Philadelphia fans. And how about this? How about players on the team going out of their way to accommodate Markel Fultz and his demands to play a certain way? To the point in which guys even said they would take play cuts, not pay cuts, but minutes cuts. Because they understood it meant acclimating him in the offense and getting him out there. And then people, media, WNBA, I don't care who the hell you are. You have the audacity to pretend like you were here? Do you know how much support this young man got? And then, dirt bike accident or not, essentially faked an injury, lied about it. And only until his playing time, after players already said, yep, no problem, we'll make a sacrifice. Only after that, and the coach coming down, Brett Brown coming down and saying, look, we can't play the guy anymore. What do you want from us? And T.J. McConnell moving up on the depth chart over Markel Fultz, number one draft pick to be Markel Fultz. Only then, thoracic outlets, all these other problems that surfaced. Spare me this nonsense. Nobody here in Philadelphia owes Markel Fultz anything. And you know what? To be fair, Markel Fultz doesn't owe anybody here anything either. It was a mutual partnership that ended. It was one that was never meant to work here. And, you know, the silver lining in all of it is the Sixers are dealing with the situation with Ben Simmons refusing to move over. That was the one guy who did refuse to budge and said, "Uh uh-uh. He ain't taking a ball out of my hands and putting it in that kid's hands. And that eventually caused that same split on the floor is the reason or a main reason why Jimmy Butler is now in Miami on his way losing to the Clippers tonight and not continuing to play with the Philadelphia 76ers. But that line tripped a lot of people up tonight. And I saw there was some action on Orlando. Bets and money placed on the Magic to win that game tonight not trusting the Boston Celtics on the road. Now, clearly a different team on the road. They're not night and day different, but they sure as hell are not what they are at home. Losers of, what, five only at home, as opposed to 12-9 and nine now on the road. But that was a big win for Boston, mainly because I think a lot of people looked at that game specifically and thought they were just bound to trip. All right. At Shander Show is how you get me on Twitter. I mentioned Mike Mutnansky is going to join us up in Boston coming up next. Loved Al Frank and Dan. See, there you go, at Fred Hugo underscore. A lot of people. Now, Boston Strangler at Ball 316. See you on the Twitch channel as well, brother. Charlie Jones, Bob Trumphy, and Paul McGuire. Now, that's got to be hockey, right? John, what would you guess that would be? Oh, hockey, probably. Or college football, right? That's got to be, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got to be. Three-man booth. So, Dick Enberg, think about this. 
Bob Trumpy, right, also worked with Paul McGuire and Phil Sims. So it was NFL, too. I thought that Bob, who played at Utah, would be doing college. But that's one there. That's an under-discussed three-man booth that you rarely hear about. Bob Trumpy. Phil Sims. Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. And Paul McGuire. So Charlie Jones was out, and Phil Sims was in. We'll get more of these. Maybe Mutt has one. EJ, Kenny, and Chuck. Now, those guys aren't really in the booth. Do they do, they do games? We need to figure that one out, too. At Shander Shows on Twitter. We'll get more of these coming up. Dealing with the root of the issues, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. couple things we need to get answers on, to say the very least. And they center around Boston sports. One good, the other... Not so much, depending, I guess, on, on how you look at it. But just like players up there, I mean, you hear guys like Tom Brady constantly tell you that Antonio Brown to Spygate and anything, in, no distraction, no dist- you just keep on, you put your head down, you show up, and you go to work. That's exactly how Mike Mutnansky approaches his job at Mutt W-E-E-I. No matter what's happening from cheating to possible escaping to the West Coast for a quarterback. It doesn't matter. No distraction can derail you, my friend. Thank you for the time tonight. Do we have Mike? Yeah, he should be there. Mike, you there? I'll I'll, I'll call him back and find out what's going on. (laughs) Okay. I'm not doing that whole introduction for Mutt again, all right? Especially because he'll find a way to chop it up and play it and make fun of me on his show. So I'm definitely staying away from that. There's one thing that we had to start with, and then I do want to get his insight on what's happened with the Red Sox, but the storyline that I mentioned popping up about Tom Brady and the likelihood of him moving on, retiring, which doesn't seem likely, but playing for another team does. And I think for whatever reason, We've had this sense of nostalgia that seems like Tom Brady doesn't slow down and he'll always be connected with that team. This Kobe Bryant mentality that born a Laker, die a Laker, even though he wasn't technically drafted by the Lakers. In this case, it's like nobody can imagine Tom Brady. And then you start to think about Joe Montana and other people who have seamlessly crossed over. All right, Mutt, are you back with us? Mike Mutnansky at Mutt W-E-E-I. Can you hear me, sir? Uh-oh. Yeah, apparently. Yes, now we got you. Oh, there we go. I, what, what's going on over there? Let's go. Let's talk sports. Okay, good. I just want to make sure you heard my introduction the first time because you ain't getting it the second time. It was an amazing introduction, and my answer was yes. Like horse racing, I put the blinkers on, and the Red Sox have no manager. Tom Brady's <laughs> going to the Las Vegas Raiders, but I forge on in sports talk radio, my friend. What's going on? 
I thought it was going to be the Chargers. You think it's going to be the Raiders. It's one of those two. It's one of those two. And the, the reason I've come over to the Raiders' side of it now is that I love this idea of John Gruden convincing Brady that he's going to forge this West Coast, Bill Walsh, old Joe Montana offense with the stuff that Brady does. And I think he'll be able to convince him more so than uh, Anthony Lynn in L.A., Vegas, big convention area, uh, international city. Jake Laser talked about that today. You can tell a lot of TB12 protein, Aton, to people mm. traveling in from uh, other parts of the world. So I'm going to say Vegas right now. There's four teams, Vegas, Chargers, Titans, and the Dolphins is a, a real, real dark horse. One of those four, he ends up one of those four. So I didn't hear you mention the Patriots. Is he out? Like, is this official? Not, I know, Adam Schefter or somebody up there who officially hasn't reported it, but is the general belief on your shows, on the streets in Boston, that he's out? The hosts at our station think he's gone. The fans think he's back. It's that That's the split right now. And the reason I think he's gone is because I think it's too hard to bring him back with the timeline. I'm not going to get way into the specifics, but to get his deal done, they need to get it done before the new league year starts. And Brady's told everybody who will listen locally and nationally, he wants to be a free agent. And the minute he becomes a free agent on March 18th, it's a $13 million cap hit automatically for next year on top of whatever they pay him. And I just, I'm at a point where if I think Bill Belichick's making the decision, Aton, not Bob Kraft, right. Bill Belichick's not going to want to commit, let's call it 25 for Brady, then an additional 13 in dead cap money, $38 million to a quarterback, and and so I think he's gone. I think it's ten percent chance that he comes back. Um, I think it's ninety percent chance that he's gone, and it's because the way the contract works is very tough to bring him back before the new league year starts, and he wants to go see what's out there. I'm convinced he will get that money though. Somebody, either the Chargers oh, yeah. or the Raiders, oh, are yeah. going to max his ass out. I I think so. Yeah, I, I think that the I think that the quarterback's available. You know, Dak Prescott is probably going back to Dallas. Right. New Orleans is probably going to retain Drew Brees. And so if you want to upgrade a quarterback for a couple of years, you have a couple options. You can go Ryan Tannehill, and you can believe what you saw against some crap bag teams at the end of the year and not believe in the postseason when you turn back into the pumpkin. Or you can go spend a couple of, a couple million dollars, let's call it 50, 55, 60 million bucks on Tom Brady for two years. And if you're, you're close to being competitive – you're going to be in the mix, and you're, from a marketing standpoint, if you're Vegas or the Chargers, you've got a, the greatest quarterback of all time coming to your team and bringing his brand. So, yes, I believe he'll be big-time sought after, uh, you know, come St. Patrick's Day. Who's the quarterback week one for the Patriots next year? Uh, the former Baylor and Auburn quarterback, Jared Stidham. I think they go young. I think they go eight. And I think that I think that Belichick convinces himself that if I spend six hundred thousand dollars instead of uh, whatever it's going to be, called thirty million or so, on the quarterback, I can uh, reallocate that money. I can build this team differently. I, it's not Teddy Bridgewater it, it, financially. So Brady goes, Aton, and if they bring somebody in, that guy costs an additional thirteen million dollars because of the one-year dead cap hit that's going to be tagged on to Tom Brady. So I think it's going to be Stidham. I think the, the other potential is that a guy they almost drafted back in the day uh, by the name of Blake Bortles, who was the backup in L.A. this year for Jared Goff. He got $1 million. There are always reports that the, the Patriots are enamored with him. 
it would cost you nothing. And even if they go with Jared Stidham, I think they might bring Bortles in to compete with Stidham. They're either going Brady or they're going cheap. I don't think there's, a, there's no middle ground for me. Wow. And even if you bring back Brady, I understand that it doesn't guarantee you anything. But how do you not start fielding questions if Blake Bortles' name is involved about taking a serious <laughs> step back, right? Yeah, and he'll and Bill will say what he always says. I do what's best for the football team. I do what's Oof. best for the football team. And look, it, this is where like so if they come out next year and they, you know, they they spend that Brady money on Amari, uh, Amari Cooper or they spend it on Hunter Henry and give Jared Stidham whoever the quarterback is some offensive weapons, defense will be okay. And they get out to a good start and, and Brady's struggling somewhere, the fans will be fine. The problem and I think it's a likely scenario that they are they are seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seventeen with this other quarterback, and Brady's tearing it up with Gruden or somewhere in L.A. I mean, my God, we got five full phone lines for five months. They don't they don't stop. They don't stop because people want to be critical of the Patriots. And I think more than Belichick, Kraft is the one who will take the brunt of it. Now that, again, ten percent chance they find a way to make it happen. And he could return here, and, and if he comes back, they're a Super Bowl contender. Right there with the Chiefs, I think, in the AFC. And if he doesn't, uh, you know, it'll, be, it'll be wild times here in New England. Mike Mutnansky at Mutt, W-E-E-I on Twitter is how you follow him. Aton Shedder, SB Nation Radio. Last one on the Patriots, just a big-picture question. You can only choose one. Kraft, Ooh. Belichick, Brady. Who's most responsible for everything up there? Uh, Brady, 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 and he's the guy that's going to go first. Isn't that crazy? It's well. I thought you were going to ask me like, who would you commit to long term? And that's I would answer Belichick because Brady's got a couple years left. Bill, I think Bill's going to be here for a while. I don't think he's going anywhere. So long term, Belichick's the guy that's going to keep this thing together. But Brady, he he he, good quarterbacks, and and you've seen this in the places that you work. We see it nationally. Good quarterbacks cover up other blemishes on a True. team. And Brady covered up bad defenses, bad offensive lines. That 0-16 he took to the AFC title game had Rashae Caldwell a wide receiver. He stuck <laughs> like garbage. I mean, this is what the great quarterbacks do that. So I think he's the most responsible. And he made, I mean, some of the plays that he made in big spots, uh, you know, go down to some of the greatest plays of all time. So Brady ahead of Belichick is more responsible for where they are right now with six Super Bowls. Better cheaters, Red Sox or the Patriots? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I, oh, how about this? How about this? Let me phrase it in a different way. Who handles cheating stories better, the Red Sox or the Patriots? Again, I guess the Patriots because you know, they, were, they were able to uh, you get out of Spygate and they convinced Goodell to burn the tapes. So, I mean, they, Goodell burned them and they got to move on from that. I don't know how the Red Sox – the Red Sox, here's how they're handling it. So they, they had this big Red Sox winter weekend last week at this uh, casino up here. We did a show there live Saturday. And I will tell you, they are convinced, man. They're convinced they did nothing wrong. Mm. And, and and their body language on and off the air, <laughs> like you know, up and down the, the up and down the, the roster, up and – J.D. Martinez said it as a player, we did nothing wrong. But just the vibe they gave in their organization off the air was, you know, we're going to be okay here. And if you try to read them like a hand of poker, you'd be like, oh, they got a they got pair of races here. I'm screwed. But if you look at the common sense of it, so Alex Cora cheated his butt off in, Oak, in Houston, 
and didn't take that to Boston, that's the part I can't believe. You fired Alex Cora when you think you did nothing wrong here in Boston. I just don't believe it. So I'm dying for the support to come out because, you know, it, it's, there's no middle ground here. Either they're cheating and they got caught, or they did nothing wrong, and it, it could go, I don't know how it's going to come down in a couple of weeks. Well, do they look bad if they did nothing wrong and they still – like in two months, if it comes out that the Red Sox are 100% vindicated, yet they still fired Alex Cora, do they still look bad? Uh, it's a great question, and it's, it's at some level, yes, but I will tell you. I, so I said fired Alex Cora. There are people around here that are you know, pretty close to the situation that are basically saying that Cora told the Red Sox, I can't manage if I get suspended for two years. So the, the, the feeling, I don't know how you felt, but when the report came out and Cora's named 11 times yeah. in the nine-page Astros report, yeah, yeah. my thought was he, he's getting two years. Hinch he's got cooked. one. Yep. Who now got one? He's getting two. And so I, I can see a case where how do you put a guy in ice for two years? Say baseball suspended for point. two years. How do you come back and manage after two years? So I, I wouldn't completely blame them for that, but I, I get your point. No, it, it is a good point, Mike. Mike Mutnansky at MuttWEEI on Twitter. I want to get your thoughts on this, man, before we part ways. I saw this story, and I'm sure you were all over it, as giant of a NASCAR market as Boston is, <laughs> where Daryl Waltrip will not be returning to the three-person booth that Fox and NASCAR had with Waltrip, Jeff Gordon, and Mike Joy. I'm anti the three-person booth because I feel like you're always going to have one analyst better than the other, and that person is never truly going to be able to breathe because you have the need to get three voices in there. A, do you agree with that? And B, what's the best three-person booth of all time? I don't. Is there is there an all-time great booth? I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the, the guys that, that, that did it best, and it feels like it's you know a traditional play-by-play guy. Yes. And, and then a really good, you know, color commentator. I mean, the the, 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 the big one right now, obviously, is Nance and Romo. Romo's right. a little chatty for me. But, I mean, I, I think it's two, and I can't – I'm trying to think of a really – Well, Al what, Frank what, and what Dan. Remember Al Frank and Dan on Monday Night Football and Cosell, Meredith, and Gifford earlier in the 70s and 80s? That's what a lot of people are saying on Twitter. I'm a, you know what? I, I, I'm a big Al, Tony Kornheiser, Dennis Miller group. Was that, was that they were a team, right? I At could see you. I could see you saying to somebody <laughs> in your house, you know, this Dennis Miller, he speaks to me. <laughs> I like it. Tony, Tony, Tony said he's right. These games are on too late. That's a great point, Tony. You should play yeah. them earlier so everyone can watch the game. Well, you're on at night. What are you bitching about? <laughs> uh, two man, I, I'm with you. Two, two man booths. I, yeah. Sign me up. Sign me up. Like, I, I think if you found, and I'll just leave you with this, I, I think if you found a top ten two person booth, two man booth, it would still be better than the best three man booth of all time. I would agree, and the guy I want back doing TV is Boomer Esiason. He was awesome in the booth. Yes. Uh, I love him back in a big spot. He does you know, a, a great job in radio in New York right now, but uh, I loved him on TV. I thought he needed a longer uh, leash at that. I, I would love to see him back at some point, but, you know, who knows? Well, we won't tell anybody in Boston you just said that. Thanks, brother. We love Boomer. Thanks, Aton. <laughs> you got it, Mike Mutnansky. All right, we'll wrap the hour. Coming up next, at Shander Show is how you get me on Twitter. Another vote. At DJ Mark Asbury, Cosell, Dandy, Don, and Gifford. And I'm telling you, that's it. It's some form of Gifford, 
and then the guys he worked with on Monday Night Football. That's it? That's the best you can give me? I feel even better about this. Get the three-person booth out of here. Espionation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. Coming up, second hour, big storyline out of San Francisco we'll touch on. Also, we'll go to Kansas City and get some insight in the storylines, top two or three storylines happening with Chiefs fans in and around the city. A lot of people continuing to weigh in on the best three-man person, technically, booth of all time. And again, I made known here, at least, on the show, the only qualification is that they have to call games. So Eric Cohen at EBC and PA has a good one. Brent, Phyllis, and Irv. Now you have to go back to when Brent Musburger, Phyllis George, and Irv Cross did the NFL Today on CBS beginning in 1975 when uh, Phyllis George was the one who joined the show. You have to go back for that one. But I don't remember NFL Today. Did they call games or was it just like a pregame show? looks like they're in a studio. So I don't think they called games. Same thing with EJ... And Kenny, you gotta call games. You can't just be in the studio. Set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You gotta do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. Before we can get into some things happening on the floor in the NBA, there is a story that popped out that just, it makes me laugh because I feel like we have this conversation, especially in the NBA, all the time. We're about to have a Pro Bowl weekend in the NFL where a lot of you are going to lie and tell on yourselves, but First off, lie to me and so many others saying, nah, I'm not going to watch the Pro Bowl. Who cares about the Pro Bowl? It's not real football anyway. I, I couldn't care less. And then somehow, some way, people find their way to a television set and they find themselves sitting down, turning the volume up, and watching. Now, I know I won't watch because I can't place a bet, I don't think at least, on the Pro Bowl. If I can, then that's even more reason to stay the hell away from it. But Eric Spolstra is upset because Jimmy Butler wasn't selected as a starter for the All-Star game. And as you know, fans have a ton of impact and vote in the All-Star game. And Spolstra appears to be brand new to this process as 50% of the vote comes from fans, 25 comes from a media panel, and 25 comes from players. That breaks down to 100%. Butler was fourth in fan balloting, third in the media, and sixth in the player vote. So I don't even know what Spolstra's real beef is here because, in all honesty, 
it's whatever politics Jimmy Butler has with other people in the league where he was voted sixth by players, his contemporaries, fans. And this is the problem, of course. Spolstra wants to blame it on fans because it's a nice, easy, convenient thing that actually holds a lot of weight. Fans shouldn't be voting on something that you then deem important. And that's why all Pro Bowls, all anything that has a fan vote shouldn't count. It shouldn't be something you look at and say, well, he made six fill-in-the-blanks. Oh, he won six popularity contests? He won six prom kings? He won six high school class presidents? Who cares? You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Got a note on the Twitch channel. You can follow along, Maze at Aton. Brett Hall, this is from Mike Savage 610. Brett Hall came out for the skill events, apparently participated in one of the skill events. And according to Mike, still looks drunk from the Stanley Cup. I don't doubt it. He's probably pounding beers daily and singing that glorious song. Can't get enough of it. 30 feet in the air from the crowd. Didn't talk much. It was one shot. One of the old guys ripped a slap shot over 100 miles per hour. I think he's talking about Al McGinnis. Al McGinnis has a slap shot for the ages. I don't know who you could think of that has a harder one of all time. Doug Waite, he used to blast it. And I'm just going off memory from the EA-NHL games. NHL 94. I forget the first one where you could break the glass. I don't know if it was 94. 94 is famous because it's the first of the games that introduced the one-timer. And then it was over. Once you had the deke down, you're thinking, all right, you know, I had this game. Then it was the one-timer, and... All you needed to do is just pull the goalie out a little bit, and the one-timer was an automatic goal. Boom. You had games up in the teens at one point. Butler-Marquette tied right now, 68 apiece, 44 seconds left to go in regulation. Number 13, Butler trying to survive this thing right here. Chara and Weber have the highest now, right, but... I'm saying, I don't know if, uh, as far as all time is concerned. Shea Weber has a blast of his own, by all means. But Al McGinnis, I mean, think about that. You're talking about a skill set. Like, that would be watching Troy Aikman come out of the booth in the Pro Bowl and hit somebody on the money running, like, a 40-yard route down the field. And Aikman just putting it, Pinpoint, or maybe like a kicker. Maybe it was somebody like Morton Anderson. As Butler now has an opportunity to win this game, 20 seconds left, and Marquette fouling because they had one to give. Or maybe they didn't. What a foolish decision that would be. But I don't know. Weber was 106 tonight. Wow. Now, if Al McGinnis steps in this thing and puts one at like 104, 105, over 100 miles per hour I, I saw already for McGinnis. So think about that. I mean, you're talking about, a, I don't even know how old this guy is right here. But I'm watching the McGinnis slap shot, and he just comes in, dives into it, 
and see if they go up to the score 100.4 miles per hour. So I'm frozen right here, but if you can, John, well, actually, I have it now. McGinnis is 56 years old, and he put a slap shot up there over 100 miles per hour. Now, that's really impressive. Super impressive. Now, I don't know what the hell Marquette was doing, but 20 seconds left, they fouled a kid on Butler at half court where the game was tied, and instead, I mean, they lost the game. This is I've never seen this before. Now, there was an in-game play, Butler minus two and a half. They're up one with eight and a half seconds left. At the half, Butler was minus two and a half in-game. And for whatever, I don't know what happened because I didn't have the audio on. I was doing the show with you, and we're trying to figure out how old Al McGinnis is to go over 100 miles per hour on a slap shot tonight. But Butler battled their way back against Marquette. They were down six. They were down big at one point with about three minutes left. And they battled back. The game was tied with 20 seconds ticking off the clock as a kid from Butler is bringing the ball up. First free throws down. This would be one hell of a way to win a game and cover an in-game line at that. But for some odd reason, I don't know what the hell's going through this kid's mind. I don't know what's happening on the sidelines. What's going through with Marquette's head here as the Butler kid makes two of them? It's a three-point game, eight and a half seconds left. Marquette with one shot left. But for some bizarre, un- I don't know if the kid thought that maybe they had a foul to give, but it was a reach-in at the half-court line with 20 seconds left to go of a tie game. You never foul there. Under what circumstances? I don't care if you're pressing and the center has the ball and he's a 46% free-throw shooter. It's a tie game. What in the world are you thinking at that point, putting this kid on the line? And I granted, he only hit one, but still, as it's played out, you and Marquette had to rush a shot. And now you look at what happened. Butler comes back and just gets the rebound. Immediately put on the line, and they're up three. You're on the road. What the hell was going through your mind? That Shander shows how you get me on Twitter. We ask a simple question tonight. As Fox and NASCAR are not replacing Daryl Waltrip in a three-person booth, they're going back to the two-man booth. What's the greatest three-man booth of all time? And the reason why I ask is because once we find the general consensus pick, which happens to be, mind you, right now, Al, Frank, and Dan on Monday Night Football, although I did get a couple who throw in the wrestling, WWE tandem, and in fact, it's not even a tandem once you add Bobby Heenan in it. That's what makes it a trio. All right, we have this here now on Twitter. And I see the crowd going nuts for Hull. And I got to be honest, Hull looks the same as he did the day in which they brought him up there and they won it and he was belligerent, drank 30 beers reportedly. And after that, was singing Gloria, Gloria, Gloria. Unbelievable. Marquette hits a three, 2.9 seconds to go, and this thing is going to overtime. I cannot believe we're at a point right now where we're in overtime. 
time with this basketball game. This is a crazy, a random Friday night. The lone ranked team in action past 10 o'clock. And Butler was on the verge of being upset at home. Marquette actually played a pretty damn good game, enough to get away with a victory. And I can't believe the sequence of events in the final two minutes or so. This is insane. And still, Butler with the chance to win this game and cover that two-and-a-half-point in-game halftime line, mind you. And I say halftime because this wasn't something in momentum or in swing. When you've got a good 10, 15 minutes to sit there and look at a line that's not moving, that's essentially resetting. And I know I'm not the only one that got in at that point. A lot of I saw it even move as it got right back to the second half, and it moved significantly off the first bucket, which told me that they saw a lot of money coming in at the half. That's what's going on right now. It's, this thing is insane that we're at a point where – Marquette has a chance to absolve one of the bigger bonehead plays you'll see. And Butler has a chance to finish off a ridiculous comeback that they probably shouldn't have been in that position in the first place. And we mentioned the Indiana Pacers game. They're in Golden State. It's on NBA TV tonight. We've got our eye on that as well. It's now a 10-point lead in the five-minute mark in the second quarter. Indiana's up. Golden State at one point, the high-water mark, and I told you this was going to happen. We don't even need to go back and rewind the tape. This was an easy one to look. Golden State is at home. It's a late game. It's on national TV. You knew they were going to come out firing. You knew Golden State was going to come out with an agenda to keep things close in the first quarter. That's the only way they were going to win this basketball game. They were not going to come back down 8-10 after one. In fact, it was five. But to be fair, at one point early on in the game, Golden State was up by nine. And that's when things shifted. That's when you got the Pacers at three and a half. That's where you got the Pacers at minus 150 on the money line. And look, it's the best you're going to get tonight. It really is. It was the best. I know everybody wants plus odds. Everybody wants plus 200. Everybody wants to hit the big underdog. But a lot of times, and this is why we do this on a Friday night, is we have some flexibility with things happening with college football and now into college hoops and in the NBA. Maybe even a college or NHL play will pull out next week. But that's why we look at these things because – the value and how you stay up and how you stay somewhat consistent, as difficult and impossible at times as it seems, is you play the minus 130s, you play the minus 140s, and you know that you're pretty much splitting 100 down the middle. And you know that winning 40 on a $100 bill sucks, but at the same time, you're pretty much locked into it. As opposed to the volatility of a college basketball game this year, which seems to be really truly impossible and i wonder and that's something that i want to explore coming up next before we go out to kansas city and look at something with andy reed that i'll bring up first and then we'll chat with roy cop jr from arrowhead pride at 11:40 eastern but there's some there's two things one with college basketball another with andy reed both i think are storylines worth discussing both i think are detracting from the game One has to do with just where we are in the ridiculous amount of 
unpredictability in college hoops. And here comes Butler right now, already up four. It's so difficult to watch college basketball this year. And it's even more difficult to bet on college basketball this year. At the same time, the Andy Reid conversation is just heating up. The Andy Reid discussion and you being inundated with Andy Reid this and Andy Reid that and has to win this and must win that and overcame so much and Eagles fans here and Chiefs fans there and blowing games and all of these things. There are two big storylines we're going to hit next because they're going to impact your viewing habit or maybe even habits when it comes to college basketball. And, yeah, you're going to be excited like I'm going to be excited about the tournament, but there are going to be other things that we're going to tune out and it's going to be a turnoff. And we haven't really gone through this before in college basketball, at least in recent memory. At Shander Show is how you get me on Twitter. We ask the best three-man booth of all time, Elliott Beach Playground at underscore 76 EPL, Harry, L.A., and Wheels. Now, that's an interesting one because they would rotate, and it would not be the same three at the same time. Some innings you'd have L.A., some innings you'd have Wheeler, Chris Wheeler, Larry Anderson. And then, of course, you had Harry Callis, who's just the best ever, all-timer. Howard, Fred, and Jackie from At Ruin Today. Now, that right there is one that you can't use. Can't use a radio team. Can't throw Steve Saban's show in there. I saw another guy trying to sneak in. But I think you can look at something where it's more than a three-person booth. It's the fact that whatever three-man or three-person booth you can find, And the only caveat is that it can't be people that are in studio. They have to be calling games. It won't top a top 10 two-man booth. The top 10 two-people, two-person booth is going to dominate the top three-man booth. It just sucks. And I don't know why people continue to try to force that on there. And we don't really have many left by any means. Coming up, college basketball, why you're watching less and betting even fewer games. And the Andy Reid story bogging the Super Bowl down. At Shander Show on Twitter, it's SB Nation Radio. You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Four-point game. Marquette has the ball, but they're trailing four with two to go in overtime. And also, the Pacers right now. I mean, my goodness. Pacers were down nine in the first quarter. They're up 66-47 with two minutes to go. Once this thing hits the half, we'll start looking at some in-game action and see how much you truly trust the Pacers up 20 or hovering around a 20-point lead in the second half. I don't know if you could trust Golden State to make a run. Who knows? We'll see. But it's getting to the point now where Butler is looking to just close things out and on the verge, one more possession of it going to free throws. And speaking of college basketball, this season has been really difficult to bet on. 
And I don't know if it's a chicken or egg thing, but I can tell you this. The lack or hesitation of betting that you may see, is Butler now up six. The lack or hesitation that you may see of betting on this sport, I think, comes from the fact that it's such a volatile top ten, top five. And we've seen teams get knocked off. We've seen teams lose games that they normally don't lose. Duke on the road and Clemson shouldn't happen. Top three team in the country, that loss shouldn't go down that way. And it's one of many to just give you one example. Google's your friend. You can find a ton of teams that were ranked one through five that were upset. Sometimes upset by a top 15 team, I get that. But you saw a ton of volatility, a ton of movement at the top. And some of it might simply be because you're starting to see the change in college basketball where there used to be a pretty significant or thick fork in the road that was easily discernible. Okay, college basketball is going one way, the NBA is going another way. And pretty much everything above and below college basketball, the game was played one way, and college was still played to a greater extent another way. And yes, as much as you'll see a Zion and others come and go as fast as humanly possible, rules pending in the NCAA, what is immensely frustrating this year is that the coaches, the offenses, the teams, the players seem to be embracing more of the NBA where if you're not getting a three, you're getting a layup and you're not really working and pushing for that two-point shot, yet you still have shooters. You still have guys like... The college basketball system hasn't truly turned over. You haven't fully recruited for two to three or four years players like that. You still have guys who need to rely on that old system. You still haven't flushed out, for lack of a better term, that older guard, that older mentality. So you still see teams struggling on offense, and they're not necessarily geared to pull a ton of threes. Or they're not necessarily geared to put the ball on the floor and take advantage of an offense that might ask one or two guys who have a good future in front of them, either top players in their conference or maybe the country or maybe even going to the NBA, versus six or seven guys around them. It used to be, and maybe even like, I don't know, two years ago used to be, where you would have a team, not even like Duke had last year, but something along those lines. I'm sorry, John, you have audio of what? I just said I have that. Uh, I have the call from the Zion block. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So before we hear that, and then we'll get to Kansas City coming up in seven minutes. Thanks, John, for tracking that down. There's this wonderful play tonight. Zion finished plus seven, or definitely positive. I'll get the actual number despite the team losing to Denver in New Orleans, mind you, but still, it's a tough team to beat anywhere. Zion still with a good night where you saw him finish with 15 points plus 16, and his team loses by seven. That's pretty impressive. Now, you want to blame somebody defensively, maybe it's Lonzo Ball as he finished with nine. It was minus 18 on the floor. My God. But before we hear that, I think – What's happened is you're seeing this. You're seeing this shift. You're seeing this change right now where all of a sudden 
the game in college game is shifting and, and is making a move to become more like the AAU in high school below it and more like the NBA above it. But the players haven't caught up just yet. And that struggle, almost that metamorphosis, is taking a toll this year to where good teams used to be like, all right, we got six guys that ain't going anywhere but can play, and we might have two guys that are going somewhere. We're going to ask those two guys to play basketball and run a system that best fits everybody else because bottom line is that's really going to be the easiest way to maximize the talent of people around them. Big three by Marquette to cut it 84-79 with just under 40 seconds to go in overtime. Five-point game, folks. Took Butler minus two and a half at the half before the second half, before overtime. You, like me, sweating this thing out. If you got in on a money line action or where that spread was at minus three and a half, when the Pacers were down 19, 9, pardon me, nine points in the first quarter, you're looking good right now as we've hit the half, 69-51. 18-point deficit. Curious to see now how this in-game line is because this is going to be a true test of how much you trust how bad this is with the, the Golden State Warriors. And that in-game line, I'm waiting for it to reset. I'm on FanDuel right now, and I'm waiting for this thing to reset. I'm going to guess 20 and a half points. They're up 67 to 51. They came in as a six and a half point favorite as far as when that line closed. Maybe six, depending on where you got it and how much money came in late on Golden State. But now a 67-51, I'm going to say it's a 22-and-a-half point line. Now, no foul trouble here, John. No issues to worry about. No injuries. Would you take a team in Golden State up 18-and-a-half, laying 22-and-a-half in-game? Because I would. Yeah, I think I would as well. Boy, can you imagine closing a game out up 23 points on the road? Maybe not. That's a tough ask. We'll go to KC next. You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Uh, getting ready for a big week as we'll be discussing every single storyline and piece of drama that we could uncover with the Chiefs and the 49ers, a very much highly anticipated Super Bowl. And Ron Cop Jr. at Ron underscore Cop joins us on Twitter. Arrowhead Pride is where you can read them, arrowheadpride.com. Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Ron, appreciate the time tonight. And I know that you're kind of getting into it where you've survived the first week, and now it's kind of like down to that final week before the Super Bowl. What's been the biggest storyline discussed at length, I would say, from top to bottom with the Chiefs in the Super Bowl? Well, I think the biggest storyline when you're talking about the Super Bowl, I just think it comes down to the Chiefs' offense, how dominant it's been in the postseason, you know, how unstoppable it's looked uh, both times, both games going down, uh, double-digit, you know, deficit, and you come back both times with amazing play by Mahomes, Kelsey Hill, 
I mean, that's got to be the main storyline. I mean, Mahomes this season, he didn't win his second MVP in a row. You know, uh, after last season, it, you know, it seemed it, was, it looked hard for someone to kind of replace him in that on that mantle. But uh, he, you know, he got injured a few times this year. Down the stretch of the season, this eight-game winning streak they're going into the Super Bowl with, he's just been on fire. And I think the main storyline is just seeing if he can continue that against a really good San Francisco defense. Yeah, and I imagine that despite, as you mentioned, the numbers not being what they were last year, as difficult as that would be for anybody on the planet to duplicate, it's almost as if the general belief is still there, at least from Chiefs fans, and I imagine people like yourself who cover the team as well, where you didn't need the numbers to reinforce the belief that Pat Mahomes in the playoffs equals dangerous against any team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, when you're talking about the training camp in August, I mean, everyone was confident and believed that this team could go to the Super Bowl and win at this time. The players believed it. The coaches believed it. They talked about it. And obviously the fans did. And, you know, right out the gate this season, we get injured pretty quick. I mean, you know, we only have our number one receiver for a quarter. And then, you know, you lose uh, left tackle early on in the season, uh, Eric Fisher, and then Chris Jones gets lost. So when Chiefs fans knew when this team got healthy, they were going to be as dangerous as any team in the NFL. And now we're about as healthy as you could ask for as, as a team in the postseason. And, you know, you're, you're seeing it. You're seeing the best team, in my opinion, in the NFL. Uh, but the 49ers are a pretty good team, too. So we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, I think they're just playing as well as you could imagine they'd be playing at this point. And I, I imagine that the most under-discussed storyline probably across the country, as easy as it is to get wrapped up with Patrick Mahomes, and we'll definitely talk about Andy Reid as I'm here in Philly and a lifelong Eagles fan. But before that, it's the defense. It's what Steve Spagnuolo has done recently, the job they did on Derrick Henry, and not clearly the strength of the team for a little bit of the season either, Ron. So I, I imagine that's probably a little under-discussed. Yeah, and, you know, when the defense was as bad as it was last year, people just really wanted to see some improvement right away. You know, they didn't want to wait. They didn't want to be patient. And, you know, beginning of the season, you know, obviously, you know, first year of a defense coordinator, a lot of new fresh players on the team, they may not perform as well as you'd like them to. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think fans kind of didn't want to hear that, but you see that in the second half of the season. They kind of start to really understand the defense. You know, Spags is putting different players in different positions, you know, more often. You know, he's got Matthew moving all over the defense, making crazy plays. And, you know, it also comes back to health. But, yeah, the yep. defense, I think I think they just really learned the defense. They got comfortable in it, confident in it. And now you're seeing all of them going full speed, knowing what they're supposed to do. And, yeah, they're playing as well as you could ask them to at this point. How much has been discussed about Andy Reid, the, the past, just getting over this hump and – I don't care if you talk to anybody in Kansas City or Philadelphia or anywhere outside of those two respective markets. He's a Hall of Famer. It's not like he needs this to validate a Hall of Fame career. But at the same time, I don't know anybody who needs a Super Bowl more in their career yeah. than Andy Reid. Yeah, no doubt. Um, and that's the thing. You know, you talk about that respect he has around the league from, you know, the coaches he's been with and coaches he hasn't been with. Um, but also it's from his players. And that was the coolest thing about uh, leading up to the AFC Championship. You know, players were asked about it. You know, how bad do you want to win this for Coach Reed? And specifically, uh, it was Travis Kelsey, uh, I remember vividly. Uh, it was the last question of the press conference. And 
all he said, you know, when he was asked about it, all he said was, you know, I don't want to just win this one. You know, we're we're trying to win the next one too, win a Super Bowl. And you could tell how much it means to them. Uh, you know, like you said, Coach Reed's a Hall of Famer, one of the best in the game. I mean, you can't tell the story of football without his offensive innovation in, you know, in the past 20 years. And, yeah, I think, you know, I'd be happy for him. I think the whole league would be pretty happy to see him get a ring. And I couldn't imagine how he handles it, you know, if he gets his hands on that trophy at the end of the game. And, and there's also, unfortunately, the flip side to all of this as well, which is, again, something that I lived through for years here in Philadelphia, and I don't have any resentment or anything like that. Ron Cop Jr. joining us at Ron underscore Cop is how you follow him on Twitter. You can read him, arrowheadpride.com, at arrowheadpride, Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. But it's crazy, right, because as much as there's so much positivity, and trust me, I've heard players here say it week in and year in and year out, we're getting this one for Reed. We're getting this one for Reed. But there still is something about Andy Reed when it comes to in-game, second half, trying to make an adjustment, passing when he should have run the ball. There's just something, right, that always rears its ugly head, unfortunately, Ron. Yeah, there definitely is. And that's, you know, with, with these great coaches, you know, I feel like they all have, you know, you can find their minor flaws. You know, no coach is going to be perfect. And, I, yeah, I do think Reed's fatal flaw is that, you know, his clock management towards the end of halves, you know, not getting as many points as he could have or not having as much time, it has cost him. And, you know, I think he deserves that sort of criticism. But at the same time, you know, I just think it's so hard to do what he's done at the, in the NFL, succeed so constantly. Um, I know he hasn't gotten all the way to, the ring, to a ring, but he's been to five, I, I believe, five conference championship games at this point. And, you know, just to have all the winning rec- winning seasons he's had, it's just so hard to ask a coach to be able to do that. And, you know, some of these coaches that aren't as good of coaches and have won rings because sometimes it just all comes together. And Reed just hasn't had that happen yet. But I think, you know, it, this team really feels like that's a, it's that kind of team. And they're really playing their butts off for him. And, you know, yeah, they'd be so happy to see him finally get that ring and you know, it'll it'll obviously shut up some of that, you know, that talk about his clock management if he has right. a ring. Um, right. But he's absolutely deserved that, and he'll be working to get past that. Is that much of a discussion point with Chiefs fans? Uh, and I ask this because I get it if it's not, meaning he hasn't been there, what's this, year eight now in Kansas City? Year seven? I believe I, oh, so, yeah. Right, so it's not 14 years, and it's not Philadelphia where we're idiots and Everything that was our day was based on whether or not they win the Super Bowl. But has there been an attachment so far with Andy Reid and the Chiefs fans, Ron, to where it's not just a storyline on talk radio or something that may be written about, but it's actually something that's cognizant with fans in the day-to-day about, man, we, you know, we, I hope we win this one just for Andy Reid. Well, there's no doubt that Kansas City fans, you know, as grateful as they are for Coach Reid, you know, when when you're losing home playoff games to some teams that you definitely felt you were better than, there it is. Uh, that's a yeah, that's a heartbreaker. <laughs> yes, and you're gonna you're gonna there's gonna be criticism coming from that just emotionally. You know, that, that's just how it is. But at the same time, when you know stepping back, you know this this franchise. You know, it's been 50 years since we've been to a Super Bowl. This franchise just has, especially before Reed, just for 10 years at least, and maybe even a little more just didn't have very you know very much to get excited about you know there was nothing 
you know, we'd have a winning season every few years, but no one ever thought a playoff run was possible. Um, and, you know, it just Reed really brought a, a new wave of excitement into the city. You know, I just – he was an established coach, and, you know, obviously we got off to a hot start. And I think Kansas City fans appreciate him for that, kind of bringing Kansas City bike back to life. I mean, Arrowhead, I mean, it, it hasn't been the oh, way yeah. it is now since the 1990s. And I think that's that's thanks to Coach Reed. So I think we appreciate that as Kansas City fans. But at the same time, you know, it comes down to winning or losing. And, you know, there's always going to be a little – criticism for the way you lose the way we've lost in in recent years but you know uh we we love coach reed here and he's been great he's, he's obviously he's great you know just a great person you can tell sure. and yeah no it, it we're all thankful for him uh you know yeah we are so ron what concerns you the most about the niners to the point at which you could see it play out and that's how the chiefs lose the game well, I will say, uh, I mentioned their defense earlier. Their pass rush and their, just their defensive front in general is phenomenal. Um, you know, like Nick Bosa, uh, Eric Armstead, uh, D. Ford coming around the edge. I, our offensive line, the Chiefs' offensive line has been playing better in the postseason, but they have not played a defensive line like the 49ers. And Mahomes' offensive performance has really been relied upon the pass protection in the postseason. They've been doing a great job keeping him clean. He's had plenty of time to have five-step drops and find the open receiver. But I just don't think it's going to be that easy against the Niners. So I really hope Reed uh, has his, you know, his head on right and has a good play calling sheet going because he's going to need to scheme up some stuff to get around this pass rush and this defensive front for the 49ers. But there is something, too, where – And help me through this, right, because a lot of people in San Francisco believe it. A lot of the odds makers, wherever you are, that you can play these props, believe it as well, that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to throw, either by comfort or by he's going to be forced to try and keep up with Patrick Mahomes. I don't know how that happens, right? I don't know how it's a good thing for San Francisco to be in any type of, not even shootout, but scenario where they're asking Jimmy Garoppolo to throw as many times as Mahomes. Absolutely. And the thing is, you, you did see earlier in the season, the Niners going into New Orleans, that shootout. Right. You know, Garoppolo looked great that game. You did see them do it, but I just, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think Garoppolo can be trusted to do that again. You know, you can't rely, you can't rely upon him to do that. You can't trust that that's going to happen again. You want to rely on the running game. And if he has to throw it, you have you want to make it as easy as possible for him. It just seems like he has a knack to just kind of, you know, not see that linebacker underneath. Um, you know, some young quarterbacks have that. You know, it comes with experience. Um, and, yeah, so I, I think if the Niners, you know, the Niners want to keep it out of his hands as much as possible like they did in the NFC Championship. But when you're going against the Chiefs offense in Mahomes, it's just, you can't ask your defense to keep them off the board. The Chiefs are going to put up points, and you're going to have to match it. So Garoppolo is going to have to throw, like you're saying. And, I, yeah, you're right. A key to this game is going to be how well he does. It's probably going to be the deciding factor whether the Niners have a chance or not. All right, Ron. Ron Cobb Jr. at Ron underscore Cobb. Arrowheadpride.com at Arrowheadpride on Twitter. Appreciate the time, my friend. Let me leave you with this thought here. And, and help us out because it's all about gambling and it's all the money that's going to be put on the Super Bowl, not even by people who have been doing this all year, but people that are trying to make their Super Bowl party more interesting. Who, if it's not 
Mahomes, which is odds-on the favorite, and clearly the favorite. If it's not Mahomes, who, in your opinion, can win the Super Bowl MVP with the Chiefs taking it? That is a great question. So I'm going to go with wide receiver Tyree Kill. I just think he's Ooh. such a big X factor in the game and their offense. Uh, you know, he hasn't been, you know, anything crazy in, in the postseason. He did have a couple touchdowns against the Titans. But, you know, I think the 49ers secondary can be exploited. I think Sherman's, you know, a great player. But I think his, you know, skill set doesn't necessarily match what you want to be covering a receiver like Tyree Kill. I think, you know, Reed's going to have some plays dialed up to get Reed or to get Hill open. They're going to take advantage of that. And, yeah, I think if someone's going to win it besides Mahomes, Hill has a great chance. I mean, he's also uh, could be a punt returner. So, you know, who knows? He could take one back there. So I'm going Hill. Awesome stuff, Ron. Thank you so much. Appreciate it again. At Ron underscore cop is how you follow him on Twitter. We have a lot to react to. Coming up next, Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Scratching beneath the surface, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios, here's Aton Shander. One thing that popped from the interview just now with Ron Kopp, Arrowhead Pride. Not the obvious storyline, right, with Patrick Mahomes and even the number 1A obvious storyline, which is, my God, Andy Reid needs to win the Super Bowl just to shut this conversation up. And I know that people in Kansas City must be sick and tired of it because people in Philadelphia have been rehashing this thing all damn week. Marquette covers the in-game two-and-a-half-point line that they were laying at the half, despite being down to Marquette. Over time, they prevail and win. Now it's down to the Pacers and Warriors. Pacers up 78-60 at the eight-minute mark in the second, pardon me, half, third quarter. And at the half, the line was 16-and-a-half. When that was much lower than I thought it would be, up 18 on the road when you're laying six and a half to start the game, I thought it would be much higher than that. And it was only 16 and a half. So admittedly, I jumped in. Look, we were talking about jumping in at 20, 21 and a half. So I jumped in at six and a half. Look, it's a 10-point game as we speak right now. Indiana is up 78-68, and now things get a little interesting. Now, as you're looking at anything fluctuating from a 10 to 12-point game, the line itself staying from 10 to 11.5 points, that's something we'll have to look at in the third hour. There's also a very interesting observation on the Twitch channel, Mason Aton, that I have to address regarding the NHL All-Star game. A very noticeable character was not out there, and we need to figure out why. That's coming up next on Espionation Radio. Set your system's volume control for slightly above the normal listening level. Let's go. Second level thinking is defined as looking beyond the easy, obvious conclusions. You've got to do some smart thinking. Welcome to the second level. To the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Where we go beyond the box score. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage is with you every step of the way. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's your host, Aton Shander. 
Third hour right now, and I have yet to find an answer here that would trump the top ten two-man booths of all time. Meaning, and this all stemmed from some story that we stumbled upon earlier in the night, Fox and NASCAR, for all of you out there who are paying attention to this, and I mean that seriously, of course, just because I don't bring up NASCAR doesn't mean you out there around the country, around the world, following any way you can. Maybe you do care about it. Maybe you have a favorite driver. Maybe you follow this. Maybe you knew already that Darren Waltrip was out, and they're not going to replace him, and it's just going to be Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon. So that begs the question, and we put it on Twitter, at Shander Show is how you can follow me. We'll give you an update on this Pacers-Warriors game, getting awfully close right now in the third quarter. What's the best three-man booth of all time? And I'll just give you an example. At Zeno PSU, Matt Zeno tweets in, I liked Al Frank and Dan. That's the first Monday night football crew I knew. That has been the overwhelming answer we got, except, of course, for maybe a Cosell, Dandy, Don, and Gifford. That's number two, a couple of people weighing in on the wrestling trio. But if that's the best you can give me, Al, Frank, and Dan, then I have to be brutally honest with you. I could come up with ten tandems, and list radio is death. We're not going to do that. I'm not going to run down. Number ten, number nine. No, but... Just throw, just randomly throw a tandem out. All right, John, why don't you start? I know you're really busy back there, so if you can't do it, just let me know. That's fine. We have a break coming up in a minute and a half. Yeah, you'll have to give me a couple minutes. Okay, that's fine. No problem at all. Mike Mutnansky was on with us in the first hour up in EEI. We asked him, and he gave us the Collinsworth-Michaels. I gave you that ahead of time as well. It doesn't matter where you look. Romo and Nance is... 10 times of a better duo than Al, Frank, and Dan were a trio. Chris and Al. And I have to respectfully disagree. And look, R. Petro, at R. Petro 24, just tweeting in as we speak. Frank, Al, and Dan. General consensus, right? Frank, Al, Dan. Chris and Al better. Brent and... Not Fowler. Um, who's the guy I'm thinking of? Why am I blanking on um, uh, Herb Street? Herbie. Brent and Herbie. A million times. You need an analyst that can speak and gets to breathe, and you need a play-by-play guy that allows him. Dealing with the root of the issues, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. 93-83, it's 11.5 points in-game line right now. Pacers, of course, with the lead in Golden State. Two-minute mark in the third quarter, so... As we wind down in this third hour, and this game does as well, we'll keep you up to date. And just as I know you care, playing at home as well, if you have the home version of the show and you're playing along, Pacers 10.5 took that. Pacers 15.5 took that. And again, I got the money line at minus 150 in-game when they were down 9 in the fourth first quarter, and that's about as low as it's going to get. 
and that was a hunch that seems to have been paying off. So at the very least, that money line bet for me will cover me losing both the 10.5 and the 15.5. However, ideally, it would be nice to take all three home. Watching this game, it's going to be difficult, I think, for the Pacers to get and keep it consistent under seven, eight, seven points. However, I am concerned that in the fourth quarter, they can hover around 10 points, nine, 10 points. D'Angelo Russell, Draymond, they've been able to keep it a little tighter than I'd like. So just going down the wire right now, at some point the Pacers are going to have an opportunity. And I think they will, mind you. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's going to be a wasted opportunity. I just think they're going to make me sweat. That's the biggest difference. I think these guys are going to come out here and make me sweat for this final lead in which they eventually win by 11. All right, at Shander Shows, hey, get me on Twitter. I mentioned this big thing coming out in Philadelphia first and it impacting the All-Star game, right? And just about how crazy this whole story has become where you actually have a mascot under fire. Now, I don't know how many of you caught this story and how many of you were alerted to it, And I know it was a national story because it was a crazy one that just captivated. So apparently and allegedly, Gritty, the Philadelphia Flyers mascot, was at a photo op and a man and his son. And trust me, there's something that ties back into this because my guy Mike Savage 610 alerted me to something that happened in the All-Star game tonight. Gritty was investigated by the Philadelphia police and the Philadelphia Flyers. Flyers first, and now the police. So I'll give you this skinny real quick. There's a man here in Philadelphia who alleges that the Flyers mascot, basically the guy who plays the mascot, Gritty, assaulted his 13-year-old son, at this photo shoot. The alleged incident happened in November. Fans were at the Wells Fargo Center. Chris Greenwell is the man's name, says his son, quote, harmlessly tapped Gritty on the head after the photo was taken. Greenwell says Gritty then took a running start and punched the team in in the back. I mean, think about that. He took a running start and punched the kid in the back. 13-year-old kid, he allegedly punched in the back. After the Flyers said, quote, there was nothing to support this claim, Greenwell then went to the police, who are now investigating these allegations. So the NHL is clearly on a break on the All-Star weekend. And if you believe or not that Chris Greenwell's story is true, and I've seen video from this guy it's believable now the one thing that i think is questionable i think at least if not completely improbable at best is the fact that there is no real video of this but here's the thing this all came back to and again the same my guy mike savage 610 on the twitch channel amazing eight on how you can follow along because gritty was absent at the nhl all-star game tonight Now, my question, and hopefully Mike is still paying attention 
Because I don't know. Were other mascots out? Were other mascots present? So if they were, and if you actually saw a ton of these hosts out there, then I would definitely think that there's some credence to the belief that Gritty's antics kept him out of the All-Star game. I think that's something that you can look at with a little more cement behind that argument. Honestly, I don't know what the hell happened, but isn't it bizarre, a little bit at least? And I know that there aren't truly degrees of bizarre, but isn't that kind of what it is now? Like a bizarre storyline where you don't know what to believe. But where's the video of Gritty winding up? Where's the video? Like, that's what I'm saying. That should have been a viral clip. Oh, look at this. Philadelphia Flyers mascot, Gritty. You know, the same mascot that apparently everybody loves. It's like the highest-selling mascot, bobblehead. If you're watching on the channel right now, you can see the bobblehead as well. Like, there's there's a lot of stuff going on here. And one thing that we thought here in Philly... The Flyers can't just suspend or fire this guy if, in fact, he's guilty of punching, winding up, mind you, with no video, but still winding up and punching a 13-year-old kid in the back, allegedly, of course. If this is true, if this is a real story that has credence and legs to it and the police find that, yes, in fact, this happened, and you're the Philadelphia Flyers, or even now I don't think you can truly, you can't just fire the guy playing gritty. I don't think that it's enough, and honestly, the optics of it are it's still the same exact mascot that went through this. It's just a different guy, and you don't really have the luxury or affordability to keep explaining to people, no, 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 the guy's different, the guy's different. The mascot is still the same. And I think that's where the Flyers are really up a creek here. There may not be a more famous mascot in sports right now. John, you know what Gritty is, right? Oh, yeah. The now, think about it. The Flyers. Yeah, but, but think about it. How big is hockey even in Houston right now? Oh, it's, it's, it's nothing in Houston. We don't have a team. And I would bet that in other areas of the country where there would be no physical hockey team, people still know what gritty is because gritty's everywhere. Like, you wouldn't even need to know anybody on the Flyers. You wouldn't even need to know anybody in the NHL. I guarantee you that the average sports fan who lives in an area, not even a city, but an area without a hockey team, knows what, I can't even say who, but what gritty is over, like, 90% of the people in the NHL. I don't want to say everybody, Sidney Crosby, you know, there's some names, but maybe even just that. At this point. And Gritty, as crazy as this sounds, is as popular of a name and as popular of a marketability thing that you can put out there than maybe anything or anyone in the NHL outside of Crosby. Now, he was just at a meet and greet on Sunday, and they offered to have the kid on the bench for warm-ups the guy wanted to go into the locker room for autographs, so now it's coming out that, and and that was the first thing that I thought of initially was he went from an apology to not getting anything, wanting that right. Hey, I want an apology. 
11-point lead, pardon me, as the Pacers up 101-90 in the early minutes of the fourth. But if Gritty was kept out tonight, and I don't know if that's the case, but if Gritty was kept out tonight for the optics of it, even though he was just at a meet and greet on Sunday, it doesn't look like, at the very least, the Flyers give a damn. It looks like the Flyers said, hey, we did our report, and it came back that nothing happened, that nothing's wrong. So, again, think about this. The Flyers have a lot more to lose with Gritty and this story being true than the police or anybody else that are involved investigating this thing. And it's not a cover-up so much as it's, uh, well, is the bare minimum met. It's like the FDA requirements for canned food. Is the bare minimum met in order to slap this thing healthy, in order to slap this thing as edible for anybody out there walking the shelves and seeing canned plankton? Yep, you can eat it. Go ahead. It's good for you. FDA approved. Well, it's got this, that, and the other in there. Doesn't matter. It's a bare minimum. And if the Flyers just went through their due diligence and said, we didn't find anything that supported this claim, we offered to appease the guy, we offered to give him tickets, put his kid on the bench, different things. It was said no, was met with resistance, we didn't hear back. And then the guy went, because he didn't get an apology allegedly, even though the Flyers say no, to the police. I don't know how much you can look at this as a cash grab to all the way up to an extortion attempt, but the Flyers ain't buying it. And that's something that I think is interesting from a marketability standpoint. This is different than a player. It's crazy to think about this. This is such a unique and rare story, and good, and thankfully we don't have instances of mascots allegedly walking around punching teens in the back. I'm not asking or begging for this to happen more. But what I'm saying is, is when a story like this comes around, it's treated significantly different than if, in fact, it was a player going through this. So one thing I should say here is if a player gets involved in something like this, autograph session, fan, whatnot, you can cut, you can trade, you can suspend... You can do all those things. But what you really aren't looking at so much, unless it's a star, like a superstar player. And Antonio Brown, I don't even think counts because he got out of the one market where it really mattered from a Jersey standpoint in Pittsburgh. And the other places he played, he wasn't there long enough, I think, to make a positive or negative impact in that regard. But I'll say this, if it's somebody who is super marketable to the top that maybe you do look at it. And also there is the connection of a player being so damn good that he or she is worth more to you on the floor, on the ice, on the ground, whatever, than they are not. So the better you are as a player, right, the more likely it is that the team, your agent, your co- all these people are going to stick up for you and say, no, 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 it didn't happen, it didn't happen, and try to buy people off all these things that go down. If you're a mascot, 99.999% of the time, you get your ass booted. You can't get away with this. You can't be sitting there in an autograph session and allegedly punching a 13-year-old kid in the back. 
the hell are you thinking? You can't for the life of you get away with anything as egregious as that. Unless, and I'm not saying that Gritty did it and got away with it, but I'm saying is this is the one time that I think you can point to a mascot in professional sports and say there is actually a real amount of value attached to a mascot from a marketing standpoint where due diligence may not be the same as it would be for every other mascot in sports. And you might actually see, which is bizarre, isn't it? It doesn't make sense. But you might actually see a team treat an investigation with gritty like they would a star, like they would Sidney Crosby or anything like that, like they would a Tom Brady, like they would anything else. Instead, we're talking about a damn mascot. Instead, we're talking about something that a guy dresses up in and goes out and rubs kids' heads and says, get over here, you rascal, with his actions, not his words. And I met Gritty once. I'll tell you about that coming up. Also, we'll go out to San Francisco in 15 minutes, give you an update on the lone basketball game with a lot of odds shifting as we speak. At Shander Show is how you get me on Twitter. Live on both Facebook, Aton Shander, and Twitch, Maze and Aton. And we're getting an update on this Gritty story as well. So we'll do that. It doesn't look like, in fact, he was at the All-Star game. While he's still doing stuff here in Philadelphia, was not in the All-Star game. And again, I don't know why. If other mascots were active and other mascots were present, then I need answers. Sesame Nation Radio. You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. Go out to San Francisco in 10 minutes. Jennifer Lee Chan, who covers the Niners, will join us. Went to Arrowhead in the second hour, San Fran in the third hour. And quick reminder, of course, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern, back with you on a Saturday. So if you're on the East Coast, Philadelphia or anywhere up and down the eastern seaboard like I am right now, then you're already in Saturday, but 6 to 9 Eastern on Saturday. A couple of gambling angles I want to hit from both college and the NBA, or pardon me, NFL from a guest perspective, and we will take a heavier look at the league as the Pacers right now are in Golden State laying 7.5 in-game. <laughs> They're up 112 106, and this thing is fluctuating by the second. I got to give Golden State some credit right now. They continue to hang in this game, and this is now again six right now is a good spot to be in. Six minutes is a good spot to be in, but this was what I was concerned about: was keeping it within. Seven to eight points consistently for Golden State in the fourth quarter, and when in fact Indiana's going to pull away. And they're up six right now, the Pacers, still laying eight and a half in game, mind you. But way too early, eight a panic, of course, but to start looking at expanding this thing and slowing it down with fouls and free throws. 
T.J. McConnell with a pretty big bucket. Backup eight. In-game line continues to move. It's pretty much staying somewhere, depending on if you're paying juice or if the line moves itself. But you're at anywhere from, like, minus 115 to minus 140 on juice to minus eight and a half to minus about six, respectively. So you can play that any way you want, but the game itself right now is a lot closer than I think people thought. Coming into it, six and a half points, the expectations, Pacers blow them out. Warriors have kept this thing amazingly, have kept this thing close. But now we see it go back up to eight at one, uh, pardon me, 10 at 116-106, and the in-game line keeps budging. So that's something to think about here as we move on. Also, with San Francisco mentioned, a couple of storylines from coach to quarterback that we have to hit. Now, the All-Star game is tomorrow. Tonight was the skills competition. And I think it, without Gritty, like, wouldn't that be the time that you would bring out the mascot? Like, wouldn't that be the time in which you would bring out and parade through all the different mascots and have fun with it? They had the women's three-on-three. They had Brett Hull. They had Al McGinnis. They brought people back. So I, I think it does make sense if no mascot was there, then Gritty wouldn't be there. Gritty wouldn't be the only one. They got in trouble doing an event one time where Gritty was the only one. And he had mascot on mascot Twitter crime. But I think if, in fact, you did have a sprinkling of mascots at the skills competition, and who knows, maybe the All-Star game they do, maybe they have something at intermission in the All-Star game where they have them all on skates. And this whole thing is much ado about nothing if, in fact, Gritty is out there on All-Star Day, not the Skills Day. Although the Skills game was getting a lot of love tonight. And not surprisingly, because it comes on the same weekend as the Pro Bowl. Think about the contrast. Just take a second and contemplate the contrast that you have with two different events. And the contrast doesn't only come from viewing habit and pleasure. It comes from inside. It comes from a chemical makeup of both of these events. On one side, you've got the NHL All-Star Game. NHL All-Star Weekend, skills competition on Friday night. On the other side, you have the Pro Bowl. Both happening at the same weekend, at the same juncture in time. Yet, what's insane is that, if you truly think about it, the NHL is getting sympathy. And people are going to take this because it connotes a negative, but it's not. But a lot of people were watching because Friday night didn't feature a Huge NBA package. Zion's second game wasn't necessarily billed as must-watch television. This game that we're struggling through right now, Pacers included, mind you, didn't scream out, stop what you're doing. And to be fair to the NHL, they pulled out all the stops. They brought back Hull. They brought back Al McGinnis. They made this thing about the Blues, rightfully so incorporated a bunch of other things. And look, the NBA will do it with the WNBA, but it seems to flop a lot more. Tonight they had the women's three-on-three. There are things that are going on that they introduce, that they do different stuff that was interesting, innovative, yet 
when you look at ratings, people will just sit and suffer through a Pro Bowl. You have to at least take your hat off to what the NHL is doing. You had people going out there giving a crap. You had people going out there trying, breaking a sweat, really putting in effort to any event that they were a part of tonight. And that's exactly what you get and what you would expect from a hockey player, all that cliche stuff. You get that from football players week in and week out. You get that from football players on Sunday, Monday, Thursday night. Not at the Pro Bowl. You're listening to The Second Level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios with way more than the scores, here's Aton Shander. We'll keep you updated on anything big as far as a swing that might happen in-game here with this Pacers-Warriors game. Specifically, if in fact Indiana can't cover the multiple in-game lines that we gave you here. But there's actually bigger stuff going on outside of the season that the Warriors are undergoing out west. Happens to be a Super Bowl, in case you heard of it. Jennifer Lee Chan joining us at Jennifer Lee Chan on Twitter. Covers the 49ers for NBC Sports 49ers. And you can read more and find out more at JenniferLeeChan.com as well. Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. Appreciate the time tonight, Jennifer. Let's start with the storyline that is in the 49ers and the Super Bowl. And what's the one thing, if you could just boil it down to the biggest storyline, the biggest thing that's on everybody's mind from radio host to writer to fan to Lyft driver, what's the one biggest storyline in San Francisco out of this game? Oh, there's so many. It's hard to whittle it down <laughs> to that. But um, maybe it's uh, the 49ers defense, which is kind of firing at all cylinders at all three levels, uh, kind of facing off against a mobile quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, who's just so effective and is, you know, speedy wide receivers that Robert Salas said yesterday are like an Olympic track team. So uh, that's kind of one of the bigger storylines. From the outside, you know, Richard Sherman is going to be focused on and talked about and the fact of his past and history now playing here. And I mean, as a negative, I'm saying just as far as him being a, a top cornerback and being loud and vocal in a, in a good way as well. He's a character, and I think people enjoy following along with him. But I imagine that locally he isn't more discussed than, let's say, a Bosa on defense. <laughs> I mean, really, both of them are great to cover. Uh, Sherman's been, <laughs> of course, very fiery. Uh, you know, you can just just sitting back and watching just his Twitter account on its own is entertainment <laughs> at its best. So uh, Bosa's fun to cover. He's kind of got a dry sense of humor. He says some great stuff. I mean, just the whole storyline, planting the flag on, you know, uh, versus Cleveland was kind of a big one. He's, he's, a, he's been fun to cover. He's, he's great. He's a worker. I mean, the thing about this locker room is that everybody in it is really great, a great guy to cover. So it's, it's different from when uh, I started covering the team back when Harbaugh was there. 
it's it's a really good group of guys. Even when they're losing, of course, they don't like to lose, but they're still great to cover. They're just a fun group of guys. Have you noticed even a subtle shift or change in attitude, behavior the last week? Once you get into the Super Bowl, even if it's, you know, that guy is normally not as disclosed or, you know, tense maybe or something like that. Have you noticed, is the team still as wide open and fun and just, as you mentioned, great to cover? I get that. But is it still just a a fun atmosphere or have you noticed any subtleties in the locker room? No, they are exactly the same as they have been since the beginning of the season. They're loose. They're fun. I mean, Kendrick Bourne and Debo Samuel are still dancing all the time during warm-ups. <laughs> uh, it's on my Instagram story. You can see those guys every day. Uh, they're joking around in the locker room. They're having fun. It doesn't seem like there's any extra stress at all. And I think part of it is just there's a really good chemistry in the locker room between younger guys and older guys. You know, you've got you know, Richard Sherman and Emmanuel Sanders, who are vets, who've been through it all. And then you've got these young guys who are bouncing around and just they keep they kind of keep everybody young. And then the older guys keep the younger guys calm. So it's it's a really good. I think Emmanuel said Emmanuel Sanders said it's kind of a really good ecosystem in there. So you mentioned Debo Samuel, and that's one guy that I think we talked about the other day because there's an interesting prop about it's two and a half players to throw a touchdown in the Super Bowl. And I feel like Samuel could run, he could throw. What's the likelihood, you think, of Kyle Shanahan breaking a play out in which somebody other than Jimmy Garoppolo is throwing for a touchdown? Uh, it's a possibility. Um, Emmanuel Sanders did it, so uh, and he did it with a, a – I mean, that was just a crazy setup. He was – being chased down by a defender, I think it was a linebacker, and he lofted it up there, and yeah, it was a pretty spectacular play. I think it was to Debo Samuel. So uh, there is a possibility he's been setting up some pretty interesting plays. Although the last two weeks it's been pretty, you know, I mean his blocking scheme is what's been really intricate and exotic to watch. Uh, the passing game has been pretty quiet just because he didn't have to pass the ball. So. Um, while I think he has those kind of tricks in his bag, he may or may not use them depending on how the, the, the game unfolds. Jennifer Lee Chan joining us at Jennifer Lee Chan on Twitter, covers the 49ers, NBC Sports 49ers, Aton Shander, SB Nation Radio. How much is there concern in the air? How much, not from the team itself, but just discussion points, do you look at the Chiefs? And you kind of have to start and end with Pat Mahomes and that offense. So what is the discussion really about as far as what the Niners need to do to maybe neutralize or even stop that? And then how much of that is backed up with confidence as opposed to kind of just finger crossing? I mean, the the team definitely has some swagger on both sides of the ball. So they are you know, they're ready to go. They do know they have to contain Patrick Mahomes. They have to get to him. They have to keep him from running around the pocket. The thing that's so amazing about him is how accurate he is on the run. You know, it's kind of similar to guys they face like Russell Wilson and mm-hmm. and uh, Aaron Rodgers. Those guys can scramble around and still be completely accurate, which is just, I mean, that's a mark of a, a very talented and, I mean, just ridiculous quarterback. So they know what – the job is in front of them, but when they're healthy and which they are right now, you know, you've got a really solid defensive line. You have a great linebacking core and you've got a secondary that can cover. So, I mean, while they have their work cut out for them, if everything works out and they follow the plan, it, it should be a good matchup. 
So much has been discussed that I can't even imagine, as I'm sure everybody were, were descending down upon Miami, Andy Reid, Super Bowl, Andy Reid, why isn't he won one, and all these things. It's almost like the, and I know locally, I'm sure it's brought up, and even still, if he does a conference call at some point, it, it might get brought up, but it's almost to a, a positive, I think, that Kyle Shanahan and what he went through as an offensive coordinator in the Super Bowl, any ghost or demon he's trying to exercise is barely brought up, and it's almost a positive, whereas everywhere Andy Reid looks and goes, he has to answer questions about why he's in the Hall of Fame without a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> Actually, someone just brought up uh, to Kyle Shanahan two days ago, his or yesterday, uh, his uh, maybe regrets and you know how he feels about heading to the Super Bowl with, you know, should he have run on that that third down? And you know, so it's it's not too far in the rearview mirror for him. He did have to discuss it, did talk about it, but he's just he said, you know, it's something that he it bothered him a lot, you know, following the Super Bowl, but really he hasn't thought about it much since. You know, same with Richard Sherman. He hasn't thought about kind of it being unfinished business from the last time he was there. So, I mean, I'm sure it'll be brought up. And, you know, with 6,000 media members converging on Miami, the likelihood of that question coming up is probably a good bet. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. What's the one thing that you, everybody around the team, is 100% confident in Kyle Shanahan to be able to do in-game that is an advantage over Andy Reid? Um, I would think the, I mean, what Shanahan has shown in the second half of the season, really the season overall, but really the second half of the season, is how he is able to be creative in the run-blocking game. The things that they do with the offensive line and George Kittle and Kyle Juszczyk that open up lanes for whoever is in the backfield, and it really doesn't matter who's back there. They're all fantastic backs. The way he's able to maneuver and kind of uh, kind of clear lanes and kind of get guys stuck on the wrong side of the field has been really remarkable. So his kind of football savant knowledge is kind of come to the surface, and it's really been interesting to watch how he game plans. So I think he has that advantage, and really, I mean, the knock on Andy Reid is his time management. So I think when you watch the last few games, and Shanahan's been great with really close games, especially the last five games of the season where they came down to the wire. They were all decided in the final seconds. I mean, if you don't have good time management, clock management, those things, those wins don't happen. So I think that's one up that he has on Andy Reid. Lifelong Eagles fan here, currently sitting in Philadelphia. I know all <laughs> about that time management. Trust me, to a, a fault. Now I'm rooting. You know, I'm I'm rooting for him in the sense of I don't mind if he wins a Super Bowl. But to be fair and completely selfish, I have a futures that I put back in October for the Niners to win the division, conference, championship, and Super Bowl. So I'm I'm full on the Niners right now. I'm curious though. As so much, again, it's it's the macro, right, with Andy Reid and the Super Bowl, the Chiefs and the 50-year drought, I don't feel like it's being discussed enough because of the history, the rich history that San Francisco, specifically that team, right, has in the Super Bowl. But what does this year, what was a Super Bowl this year with this coach and this team mean to a city that does have such a rich history in winning? Well, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable that after only winning 10 games in the last two years that they're at this point in, you know, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch's kind of 
three, you know, six-year contract. They're halfway through. And for them to have the turnaround that they have, I mean, it's gotten everybody wearing 49ers gear all over the Bay Area, all, you know, throughout, I mean, Northern and Southern California, all 49ers fans have kind of come out of the woodwork. They're wearing their gear, whether it's vintage or whether it's new. Uh, you're seeing it out and about. It's kind of just revived the city and their fandom for the 49ers after, you know, the move to San Jose to Santa Clara was rough for a lot of people. So I think this has kind of brought a lot of the people back in the fold and it's, it's made them happy to cheer for the Niners again, because they, I think a lot of fans did feel the move to Santa Clara was kind of a slight to the fans. Who's been the most famous recognizable face? Like who's been riding this wave that is the most famous Niner? I, well, Steve Young and Jerry Rice were honorary captains last last week at the NFC Championship game. Uh, Joe Montana's been around. I mean, all of the big alumni have been back in the house, which is nice to see. And it's something that was kind of missing from the franchise, you know, since they moved down and really since kind of Jed York t- came, you know, became the CEO of the team. With John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, they really find it and think it's important to have those guys involved and to get them around the guys around the stadium and you know Steve Young talked to the guys a couple years ago at the beginning of the season when Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch took over and it's it's been a nice kind of resurgence of resurgence of the relationship with the alumni and it's it's really good to see that now correct me if I'm wrong but this would be three years after Chip Kelly got fired right or not two right was it 2016 2017 this is Kyle and John's third season. Right, so third year. It was only two years mm-hmm. here in Philadelphia since they moved on <laughs> from, and I can't say the words that I would like to say because the FCC, I can't imagine there's a more frustrating <laughs> individual that you've coached in your long career than Chip Kelly. You know, actually, he was, you know, fun to cover. He was, you know, dry sense of humor, <laughs> kind of, you know, very witty, I, very interesting. Good to the humor, really. I mean, if you if you get him, I think some of the things that he would say was kind of were misconstrued by Philadelphia media a little bit. I think if you don't get his sense of humor, you can think of him as yeah, he's kind of not very nice. But uh, his sense of humor is just a little bit different. So um, while I am, you know, a bigger fan of covering. Kyle and John, just I'm because sure. of the way they work with the media. I mean, they're fantastic. I don't think you could ask for a better combination of GM and head coach to cover. You know, Kyle Shanahan had a bad rap coming out of Atlanta for, you know, being kind of a know-it-all or being arrogant, but he has been fantastic. And I asked a couple of the players about it uh, over this past week because just kind of the evolution of where he's come from and, you know, that kind of reputation he had. And they were all surprised. They could not believe that he had a bad, bad reputation coming out of Atlanta. And a couple of the guys that I spoke to were actually there with him. So it's interesting, the views of people, you know, inside the house versus outside of the house. That's really cool. That That's an under-discussed storyline that I haven't heard brought up at all. And I definitely am going to be able to get something out of that. That's really cool because, again, it's a blip of what happened as far as the Super Bowl meltdown. And then the coaching stuff is so heavily on Andy Reid. There are so many cool storylines attached to Kyle Shanahan. Jennifer Lee Chan, at Jennifer Lee Chan on Twitter, covers the Niners, at NBCS 49ers as well. Thank you so much for the time and the insight tonight. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Have a good evening. You got it. Thank you.
All right, we'll wrap the show coming up next. That's an interesting point she raises about Shanahan and the transformation coming over. And I'll tell you, I didn't get the joke that Chip Kelly made when he traded LaShawn McCoy and cut Deshaun Jackson. Shame on me. It's SB Nation Radio. Dealing with the root of the issues, it's the second level on SB Nation Radio. And on SBNationRadio.com. Presented by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. From the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Aton Shander. All right, one thing to look at. Pacers cover that game. I don't know if you were riding with me or not. I had to get in a couple of times. Right away, the play was when they were down nine to the Warriors in the first quarter. I said, look, let's do it. We got in at minus 150. Then we got a little greedy. We took the Pacers at minus 15 and a half at the half when they were up by 18 points. And as some sort of insurance, we fell back on the Pacers minus 10 and a half in game again in the third quarter, and they win by 11. Woo! Look, sometimes it just takes getting away. Great job, John. We appreciate it, brother. Talk tomorrow.